do you rate Ryan Giggs' his chances? No. <laughs> Are they playing today? It's, it's not. They're it's playing, the Norwich yeah, game. they're playing today. I don't have Sky. It's going to be good. See, because you're a Liverpool supporter, aren't you? Oh, yes. See, because I'm kind of rooting for Giggsy, really, because he deserves the job. I know they've said that he's not going to get it and he's only in temporary control for this next four games or something, but I would, I'd love to see him get the job. If he does badly, yes, so would I. You can't be like that, though. You've got to... Yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's United. Liverpool are doing really well. It's been amazing. But like you say, we mustn't talk about football because we'll offend people. Yeah. There'll always be somebody. Chelsea supporters. Man, I hate Chelsea. Ah, uh, yeah, so do I. Now, we agree on something. <laughs> you sound like you're dying. Yeah, I've had a chest infection for three weeks. They've been to the doctor? No. Oh, they you man. Do, they don't do anything. You man. I know. It's like, I'm not going to go to the doctor until I'm literally dying. <laughs> don't croak before the end of the hour. You can always have to be out. Put someone else over the top. Who would be your voice actor? Michael <laughs> Owen. People say you sound like Michael Owen anyway. He's boring and dull anyway. We're not allowed to talk about football. Ah. Oh. You could have said somebody interesting. You could have said... Gerard Butler, there you go. Who's Gerard Butler? He's an actor. What's he in? Um, 500 or something like that. Oh, is he the guy that was in 300? Yeah, him. The guy with the big beard. The guy that just... The very attractive one that all the women love. Okay, yeah, I think I know the one. That would be my uh, replacement. He'd be your voice actor. That or Ronnie Barker. I was in the barbers today, and normally Paul has back-to-back Idiot Abroads playing, but I think he's got fed up of that now. And this week, he had back-to-back porridge episodes. He just reminded me of you, watching Ronnie Barker. Thank you. He's a comedy genius. I think it was the dry sense of humour, rather than the prison attire that I associated with you. Such is my life. I haven't spoken to you recently, so I haven't had time to, or the opportunity of um, sending you my condolences, because your fish died. Float right. You had two fish. Float left. Is the position static? Yeah, we've had all these jokes on Twitter. <laughs> um, Z index, minus six foot. Got to clear both. What are the next two going to be? I'm getting no more, that's it now. Alex had fish growing up, and he had he had some goldfish, but he also had lots of, I don't know what they were, little fish. And he didn't clean out that fish tank for months and months and months, until you couldn't really see that there were any fish in there. Lord knows how they survived. We'd clean it out every, I don't know, three months or something. Yeah. And... These strange mutant creatures would blink into the daylight. Christ. <laughs> you'd, put, you'd try to scoop them out and put them in a bowl of clean water, um, <laughs> you know, while you ended up kind of, you know, scrubbing the sides of this tank with like a wire brush, <laughs> trying to get all the scum off it. Sorry, Alex, if you're listening, but that fish tank was disgusting. Yeah, mine's no better. And, of course, you know, they would go from this murky darkness where they hadn't seen daylight for months on end to, like, a bright white Tupperware bowl full of clear tap water. (laughs) (laughs) These things were, like, in shock. It's amazing that any of them managed to last as long as they did. Mine's by a window, so... I'd like to have fish, though. I'd like to have a proper fish tank. I'd like a big tank with lots of fish. My friend Joe... He had an entire wall of his house that was this massive great fish tank. And he had some beautiful big 
tropical fish in it. And it was, it was like a, ro- a room divider. So you could see the tank from both sides. That's quite cool. All of the, you know, the pumps and the filters and all of that kind of stuff was all automated and it was all tucked away underneath. So he didn't really have to do anything. It was like going into a bloody aquarium. It was great. That'd be really cool, that. So anyway, how was your week off, Dan Davis? It's been all right. I went um, to Anglesey for a couple of days with the kids. I promised them a holiday. Weather was nice. I love Anglesey. We've been trying to go there more often. I, bet, I mean, I bet, bet half the people of listening who don't even know where Anglesey is. Yeah. It's a small island off another small island floating off the Europe is where it is. Anyway, no, it's a beautiful... I think Anglesey is a magical little place because it never seems to get busy, even though even when you go to some of the places like Bumaris or Newborough Beach or some of these just amazing places. I mean, we went to Newborough Beach not long ago yeah. and it was sort of fairly early in the morning and it was a bright morning... In the winter, so it wasn't, you know, wasn't yeah. expecting lots of people to be about. And the sea was amazing. The tide was out, so the beach was clear. And you look over to Snowdonia and to the Clean Peninsula mm. and see the mountains in front, you know, behind the sea. And it's just this amazing place. If People should go to Anglesey. I mean, I live an hour away from it. It's such a great place for photography. I think I've taken some of my best landscapes in Anglesey over the last couple of years. I'm getting a camera soon, so... What I'd like to do is I'd like to organise either a photo walk for the day. Because, yeah. you know, Ashley, she got me inspired about doing photo walks. I mean, I'm sure that's something that we could do. Or, actually, if anybody's interested, I was thinking about maybe doing some kind of photography weekend. Yeah, that'd be quite cool. There are so many great places on Anglesey that we could get to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, really easily. Right from kind of, you know, Chemice Bay all the way around to Penmon on the... the Eastern side? Yeah, yeah. With the lighthouse and everything. It could be mm. so good. Yeah, I should do that. But it was a good week off. I worked on bank holiday, so I was glad of the break. Yeah, you deserved it. I'm off to Didcot down in Oxfordshire oh. on Monday. I've got Monday down with a client down there, Monday, Tuesday. I come back Tuesday afternoon, and then I've got the rest of the week off. Oh, have you? It's not a holiday, because, you know, Sue and Sue are here working. Mm. but I've just decided that I'm going to just set aside a week. I had a contingency week in the diary. I think every now and again it's good just to put, every few weeks I'll put a week in just in case there's, you know, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, hanging about or bits and pieces that I need to finish off. Yeah. But it, it turns out that I've got everything up to date. I'm going to use this week to work on some business stuff, to work on some sales. Cool. So I'm going to do a lot of sales follow-ups and I've got a couple of meetings here and there. But I'm just trying to get more organised. Aren't we all? Yeah, I'm trying to get better. I, I've flicked through my emails because I had a really terrible system for keeping on top of things. I, I tended to keep most things just in email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'd have a folder which was like a sales folder. I suppose lots of people do this. Mm. And, you know, every now and again I glance at it and think, oh, I must, I must call that guy. Yeah. Uh, and then I never get round to it. So I decided that I wanted to get more organised. So that's one of the things that I've been doing this week, and I'm going to try to finish that off next week as well. I need to get better at it. Yeah, do you strive for inbox zero? I am always inbox zero, yeah. There's very rarely... Well, not always. There's very rarely more than half a day where I've got anything in my inbox at all. You know, if I go out, like, you know, if this, was, if this was a working day and I'd have gone out for a meeting this morning and I come back at lunchtime, there would have been half a dozen things to deal with. 
But after that, yeah, no, it's gone. I don't understand people that have, you know, two or three hundred things in their e- inboxes the whole time. I don't understand how they, people can do it. I've got about ten emails unread. I tend to do email triage, so I'll sit down every once in a while during the day, and I'll do email. I won't keep it running the whole time. Yeah. I just, I'll just literally go into process email. Generally, about eighty percent of my email just gets deleted right away. So obviously spam goes. And if mm. somebody's just writing to say something like, you know, see you at three o'clock, then as long as that's in the diary, then, yeah. you know, that, that gets deleted. I don't keep folders with projects or with customer names on or anything like that. I don't file things like a librarian. And then if something needs to be dealt with, I'll either, you know, I'll put it in the calendar, I'll put it in an in a Apple reminder. I'll deal with it right away. You know, if something takes more than a, less than a minute to fix up, to deal with then i'll do it straight away and then it's gone and you know there might be the odd thing hanging about you know i might need to look something up or maybe write somebody a a longer reply yeah so i'll put those into a to-do folder and then i I always make sure that by the end of the day i've kept that to-do folder empty Mm. and then i don't have anything that's all of it done mine's hitting me so i just tend to try and reply when i can i'd always try and reply there and then but there's the odd feel that gets through, which mortifies me. Well, this was one of the sad things about flicking through my email, the sales email. was I actually found, well, it wasn't many, but there was two or three inquiries that we'd had. Mm. And I don't know the, the quality of them, but you know, people had got in touch. And I could tell because they'd used the contact form on the website. Yeah. And I hadn't got back to them. And some of them were, you know, were like two months ago. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously those prospects are dead now, but I felt really guilty because it doesn't say good things about us, the fact that I never got back to them. So I felt really bad about that. I've sent a few, a few emails out with a project that I've been working on and never got replies back. And you do wonder whether people just ignore it or whether they just get missed or, or what have you. I decided to go back and I, I went back six months. I thought anything longer than six months is like well and truly dead. Yeah. And probably longer than three months isn't really, you know, isn't really much of a, an opportunity, but you know, we'll give it a go. Yeah. So what I did was I went through and I copied all of the details uh, about the customer and what they were looking for and any other notes into a, a sales template a spreadsheet. Yeah. Uh, a numbers spreadsheet that, I mean, I shared it online a couple of weeks ago. I don't know whether you can put things like spreadsheets on GitHub. I've no idea. Uh, yeah, should be able to. I just shared it through the website. You know, I used a few kind of Apple reminders, but it was funny. I, I emailed a, a load of people back and, you know, even some of the historical ones and said, you know, we emailed it together a, f- a few weeks ago or a few months ago about this project. Um, we didn't follow through with it. You know, we didn't hear back from you, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still interested in talking, so you know, can we arrange a call? And you know, I got a couple back saying, you know, no thanks, you know, we're we're you know we're, we're dealt with now. Yeah. Uh, but thanks for the follow up. And a few people said, um, actually, one that I got back this morning, where I'd actually done a quote for the guy because I've been really bad. I, I would, I'd get an inquiry. I might have a conversation, you know, a phone conversation with somebody. I might yeah. actually put an estimate together, and even you know, send them a quote, and then you know, you don't hear back. So I, you know, one of the ones this morning was I got an email from this guy to say, no, thanks. You know, we're, we're already sorted. Mm. And I wrote back and said, you know, can you tell me why you didn't follow up with us? Cause he, you know, he didn't even write back. You right. know, I sent him a quote, didn't hear a thing. And he just wrote back too expensive. I got an e-commerce site for 1500 quid. And I was thinking, well, 
that's you know I'm, I'm not going to be upset about that because you know that guy's not our customer. No, not like we lost one. It's you know he wasn't the customer. So yeah, but I need to get better at it. I need to get better at knowing that we spoke to this person on a certain day. You know, we sent them a quote on another day. You know, yeah. my next action should be to call them on Tuesday week or something like that. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, at the moment, I'm just using the calendar and I'm using Apple reminders. Should be enough. But I'd really like uh, a simple, really simple little CRM. That mm. would be nice. And I've looked at a few, and some of them seem really overcomplicated. <laughs> there was a... But the other thing is, is that I'm not very keen on paying for software on a monthly basis. You know, if it's £10 a month. Yeah, yeah. I know that, you know, I know that's only 120 quid a year. So as if it generates as money, it's, you know, it's, it's an investment. I shouldn't complain about it, mm. but I just, I'm, I'm old fashioned. I just like to buy software. There'll be something out there for you. Yeah. Well, if people tweeted me a few links. Okay. I'm hoping that, that something will come up. So we should do a sponsor. Let's get a sponsor out of the way. Go on then. So I'm really very pleased to have our next sponsor supporting the show because it's Hover. And they really are the best way to manage and buy your domain names. And I know that because when I started using Hover, I liked the experience so much that I now recommend them to all our clients. As a designer and as someone who runs a small business, I don't need something that should be simple, something like buying and managing domain names to distract me from what I know I do best and what I know makes us money. And I also don't need unnecessary complications. Yeah, I just want the process to be smooth and simple, and I want to get help quickly when I've got a question or a problem. You know, many domain registrars, they try to squeeze every last penny out of you. I'll give you an example. Years and years and years ago, we registered a handful of domains with a company in the UK. Now, I know that you know, I'm usually very open about a lot of things, but for several reasons, I want to get who is privacy on these domain names. Mm. Turns out that that registrar wanted to charge me for who is privacy. And when I wanted to transfer those domain names out to another company who didn't, they wanted to charge me a fee again. I hated that. The hover's different. With them, who is privacy gets included for free on every domain that supports it. And when I asked Hover for support, a real live person got back to me almost immediately with information about how to move my domains. And that's something else that I love about Hover. They take all the hassle and the friction out of registering a domain name. They even offer a valet transfer service to make it easy as possible for you to move your domains. And there's no charge for that. Hover just takes care of everything for you. There's so much more that I could say about Hover and why I like using them, and I'll, I'll do that over the next few weeks. I think you're going to enjoy using Hover. You should give them a try. For 10% off your entire first purchase at Hover, go to hover.com and use the offer code UNFINISHED and start using Hover. Nah, they are good. They are really, really now. good. They don't try to kind of upsell you at every point during the process. It's like, go on there, do a search. It'll recommend loads of domains that are available. Yeah, you pick one, now. you buy it, and you're out. And it's so good. It's where I registered uh, unfinished.bz. Okay. So how is your switch from front-end development to UX going? It's been different. How long have you been doing it now? Because we last spoke on the show, what was it, January? 
the start of January, wasn't it? So nearly five months, is it? But weren't you doing it on like a three-month trial? Did it for three months. I got a project of my very own, which I've also built it as well. I'll come to that in a minute. But yeah, started off doing all the, all the wireframing, looking at you know what the client wanted, and saw it through to design and then to the build. So that was for two to three months. And then they basically said, well, okay, we'll just keep giving you work. I had my review two weeks ago, my sort of annual review. So I'm staying in that department and will be a UX developer kind of person. The idea is that I'll do front end as well as the UX, but I'll have more of a sort of input at the start with the UX side. I've learnt a lot. It's been eye-opening. I've got to work with designers, I've got to work with front-enders, I've got to work with you know, project managers. It's been, it's been really good. I can, I, can, I can see a project from the other side now. I don't know whether many people get that sort of opportunity to see so many different parts of things. Some of the projects we've worked on have been quite big. There's been a lot of you know information architecture to look at. Things down like down to labelling on buttons. You know how how much of a difference a label can make for a client uh, using Google Analytics. There's been all sorts of different little projects that we've done that have made such a difference to the clients. It's really quite cool. Kind of me going forward now will get to shape a lot of the stuff as well as build the actual thing itself as well. So I, I get quite a lot of control on it. Which is quite nice because I get to liaise with designers and we talk about what can be done, what can't be done. And I get to come from both the UX side and the front end side as well. Just clear this up for me then. Yes. You know a lot of what I think about this kind of stuff. What does UX actually mean day to day? This is, this is the thing. When I say I work in UX, people go, do you actually know what UX is? There's so many different parts to user experience i don't do all of it i do wireframing i look at page structure there's stuff that i don't do like i don't know there's it's it's so hard to sort of condense into one thing we've got how many people in our team we've got four people in our team and they all have different skill sets and the idea is to bring us all into one and, and produce a ux product i guess but there's so much to it analytics there's so much i can't even go into it well let's 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 break a project down then let's start at the beginning and you know maybe i can try and compare it with some of the stuff that we do okay we often do a lot of branding we often look at talk about look and feel yeah and to me look and feel and the whole kind of personality of a site also involves a lot of written content as well yeah. So when we start off a project, often that we're talking about their branding, we're talking about the personality of the site. Yeah. We'll often we we ask people questions. You know, some some people I know ask who personifies your brand. You know, who who mm-hmm. would you like to to personify your brand? And every single person says Morgan Freeman. <laughs> he comes up so much. And another question that we ask is if somebody, because some, sometimes people find it hard to actually personify a person. Right. You know, they, they, they start thinking quite early about, you know, what they do. So, yeah. you know, if they sell garden tools, you know, <laughs> you say, who would you like to pers- personify your brand? And they go, well, Percy Thrower, obviously. Yeah. Because anybody that doesn't know, he was a gardening guy on TV. <laughs> 
So another thing that we do is we ask, well, if somebody was doing a voiceover for your TV commercial, mm. who would you like that to be? And that's always a good question because it gets them thinking about their tone of voice. Yeah. And that leads into things like the written word and how you actually write micro copy and instructions and stuff like that. So is that UX? Yes, I'd say it was. We did a website for an insurance company and we looked at who would be using the website and it came down to it being women mainly because they were the people that bought. We had these designs that needed to be not feminine looking but needed to appeal to more women than it did male because based on the study that we had, majority of people who were buying the insurance were actually the women. So in a voice again, that was quite important but we had to look at that as part of a UX team. Page structure, you know, where things sit, how things flow, that was done by me and the wireframe inside. Again, that's UX. So just talking about who's going to use the site then for a minute. Yeah. We've we tried to do this uh, every project because I think it helps to get the client focused on the important things rather than actually sometimes what they think is important when they go to the job. Um, yeah. And we really do like to ask them, we work with them to design personas. Yes. So when you're talking about the fact that it's mainly women that buy insurance, Sue's actually been trying to sort out insurance for Iraq for me. Well, there you go. That's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I bet. She finally has got me, um, got me some insurance. It took a while. To, our, usual, our regular insurance company didn't want to do it. <laughs> okay, I think why. I'm not going to Baghdad. You know, I'm going to northern Iraq, which is a lot safer, apparently. It's still Iraq, though. Still fairly close to the Iranian border. So, you know, it's, it's not exactly Scarborough. No. Actually, it probably is Scarborough. It's nearer Skegness, maybe, than, than Suleiman Air. Christ. We like to put people to get involved in designing personas so that they can think about specific people. Not, you know, not groups of people, not demographics, but specific no. people that use the, the site. We do personas as well. So that's UX? Yeah. Okay. There's so much to it. I, I need to write about it. One of my things I've got to do for my review is pick out the bits that I want to do. It's so broad, I can't do it all. I don't know it all. So I've got to pick out the bits that I find interesting and that I think suit my interest. So I've got to go through all these different facets of this this big UX thing and, and pull them out. It's massive. I... I wonder then, because I mean, I am always moaning about UX. I mean, did did you see, did you see my response to Kenneth Bowles's uh, letter to a junior designer this week? I've seen your Twitter. I've not read it. I've not read the original one. I'll put some links in the show notes. But yeah, Kenneth is a you know fantastic product designer, and he's obviously mm-hmm. way, way, way more experienced than me in terms of you know user experience. I, I don't know. I just had a problem with it. I just had a problem with the letter. I don't have a problem with Kenneth, obviously, but you know, I just had a problem with the with the letter. I thought it was a bit kind of you know a bit niggly, a bit negative. Okay. Sometimes I wonder where we draw the line between so-called user experience and design in a way, if those two things are separate. And everything that you've mentioned so far is kind of like, we do that, but I don't think of that as being anything separate from what we would normally do. It's difficult, I guess. I mean, UX is, it's really a mindset, isn't it? 
it's you're doing everything to get a product that works for the for the clients and the user. Well, yeah, um, we didn't always do it. You know, it's only been in the last I don't know few years. Yeah, yeah. That we have done things like personas and you know the whole kind of branding interview stuff. You know, we, we've 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 kind of picked that up along the way. UX to me isn't a department. We're, I don't see us as a department of people. I see us all doing a job and doing something else alongside it, like design or front end. So I just do front end the right way. But you at the agency, you have designers apart from yourselves. Yeah. You have the UX team and you have designers. Designers, not necessarily a UI designers. Uh, they're not able to do HTML markup, which I think, personally, they should be able to do that. They should be able to do UI design. It should be across the whole board. At the agency, no, we don't. But I've been working with my designer on a project. And it's a case of just talking it through. What we used to have was they did the design, it get passed on to the front end and so on and so forth. But now it's a case of sitting down and just just seeing what works. Especially for a front ender as well. I, I know what's possible from a front end point of view. Now I know also have a say in how it should look to a point. But there's nothing stopping the designer knowing about UI design. Nothing stopping the designer getting to know UX. I think we should all know a UX thing anyway. We should all know it. Well, the be- we should all know, all know the best practice. How do you then structure the project? So you've done your personas. Yeah. What comes next? Every project's different where I am. It's been really weird. For example, the one that I worked on myself, we didn't have personas as such. We did create a couple. It was, it was really, we didn't have an awful lot of time and budget for it. But the idea was we knew what the, what we needed, we knew what content there would be. It was a case of we got it straight into wireframes, basically. But I'm guessing there were other steps you'd take before that, if you, depending on the project. Were they interactive wireframes, or were they things that you made in Exure or something like that? I made them in Exure. With me building a thing as well, I'd have preferred to have built wireframes in HTML so that I could have got straight into the browser and built the thing after working with the designer. Because there's things like style guides we could have introduced. Which again, I think, is that UI? It's UI, isn't it? It's a sort of style guide. Or is it UI? I don't know. Yeah, it probably is. Probably it? is, yeah. So that's another aspect of UX, is UI. We should have done a UI kit. We'd have had interactive wireframes that were HTML. It was a good base. We could have built the site side by side, and got out the door. So your designers are purely thinking in terms of look and feel? Look and feel and layout. Right, so you're not prescriptive about layout when you hand over the prototypes, for example, or are you saying the search box goes in the top left or in the top right? It's a case of the wireframe should should match the final outcome. What I'm trying to do is to sit down with the designer before the wireframes are done Sit down with the back end team, sit down with a front end if it's not me, and go almost sketch it out as we all see it, rather than me saying that will sit there, that will sit there, this will sit here. Get everyone to input at the start. 
we've all agreed that that will sit there. That's going to save a hell of a lot of toing and froing down the line, isn't it? I'd hope so. We've not done it yet. Um, I'll say, because I'm the front end on this project, I kind of know what's going on with regards to wireframes. If someone else is taking it on, they might not understand. Well, they should do. They should understand the flow of things with regards to you know, the responsive side and stuff. Well, I was going to say, the responsive thing has always been a problem for me when other people have worked on wireframes. Yeah. You know, when we've been the designers and somebody else has done what I've considered, you know, by the letter of the word to, you know, by, by the definition to be UX. Yeah. You know, both on projects over the last couple of years and, you know, historical projects like that big government job that we worked on. Mm. Generally speaking, we would get wireframes that were desktop centric. Yeah. And no real thought at all, I don't think, had been given to how they would be made responsive. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that created us a problem. Yeah. Particularly when the client had signed off the fixed width wireframes <laughs> before it had come to the designer. And then we might want to go, do you know what? You have to move that because it's still not going to flow. Yeah. We have the same issue with a project in that the designs didn't match the wireframes that we given to the designers, which is fine. You know, the whole point of it is it is a, an iterative thing. And in the end, what we started to do was to get post-it notes and put them on the on the wall for mobile. It's just a cascading of, of post-it notes. And then we move on to, say, a tablet version, more post-it notes. And then we started to use sticky tape to outline the divs where these things would have to sit inside for the thing to flow. Because that, that's the issue half the time, is if you're not a front-ender and understand that if you've got two boxes that have to float left and float right, and then that's repeated a second or third time, you need perhaps a container around the two things so that that becomes a block, then there's the next block, then there's the next block. If you don't know that, you just don't see it. So we were marking out on the wall with sticky tape where the divs were, that contained or that housed all these elements. We had an idea about using a, a pin board and some elastic bands that were different colours and just to, to highlight what div things are or what container things are sat inside. So that when it does flow, they know that their design or whatever it won't work because it's not sat in the container where it does flow and it's been really hard trying to get across that things have to be sat in a certain way for it to flow as it does. That's fascinating, that. Did you take photographs of those boards, those walls? Photos on my phone, which I, obviously I can't show because it's client-sensitive stuff. Um, I could probably blur stuff out. But yeah, it was, literally. All my wall I overtook with post-it notes. I think people would find that absolutely fascinating to see that. I thought about doing Lego and all sorts, just to highlight. Because I, I was thinking about wireframes. If I hand over a wireframe to, say, a back-ender, we've had a website where a back-ender guy has actually built the website before front-ends touched it, because it's built in Drupal. Never used Drupal. But he, he built this site. He didn't really have an understanding of how things flowed. So I was thinking maybe, on my wireframes, I should have highlighted the containers, or the, the main containers, so he knows, right, that needs to sit in that div, because that's going to flow left or what have you. So that's another thing that I've learned is that not everyone understands the wireframe like a front-ender would. So it's a case of having to, to not spell it out, but it's more steps. 
the more that we can do to communicate across these different disciplines, the better, I suppose. Yeah. We've done some stuff recently where, in fact, we've done a lot more stuff recently where actually, contrary to what I normally talk about, we've, <laughs> we've, we've given flat visuals out. Yeah, we, okay. we've, we've just done a, a, a lovely design project with a, actually it's with a Drupal development company and <laughs> we've just been redesigning their brand and, uh, and their site. And they are, you know, they're so well qualified in terms of the, the front and the back end that they really didn't need us to write any code. Right. So a lot of the early work was done in fireworks because I still can't, oh, okay. I can't let fireworks go. I'm just, I know that I need to actually just spend a week. Maybe it should be this coming week spending a couple of hours in sketch every day. Do you though? It's a tool. Whatever works for you, isn't it? Posting notes works well for me. Well, fireworks uh, works for you. It does, New but I just know that fireworks doesn't have a future. Anyway. <laughs> they didn't need us to to write code but it actually helped me alongside all the psds it did help me to write html and css so that yeah. i could demonstrate i'm actually going to sit down with their developer on wednesday it's one of the things i've got to do this coming week okay. i'm going to sit down with their front end guy and you know we're going to talk about how the responsive stuff's going to work and yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff so the more we can do to help that communication i think the better I think definitely, yeah. It's been a real eye-opener in terms of who knows what. I think, you know, putting a box together that's going to float left, float right, it'll do this on the tablet. To me, that's just, it's easy. Yeah, it's common sense, isn't it? But not to everyone. Because it's not what they work with every day. It's just finding the right way of communicating what needs to happen. So here's a question then, because yeah. you do a hell of a commute every day. Don't I just? You really do. I mean, I don't know how long it takes you to get into Manchester every day, but it must be, what is it, an hour and a bit every day? It's not into Manchester itself, it's the outskirts. It's okay. about an hour and ten, depending on what time I leave. Yeah, so two hours forty every day. Uh, every day. About that, yeah. In the car. It's a very comfy car. <laughs> it's really not a comfy car, because I've been in it. Cheeky <laughs> <laughs> The taxi. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, anybody that follows you on Twitter is going to know that you do put in some serious hours. Yeah. You were working this bank holiday weekend, which, you know, not everybody else was. Some of us were eating chocolate. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, because people say, oh, I should just work from home. But isn't it, do you find that it's actually really important to be in the office? Well, not when, maybe not when you're writing HTML, because you, you can yeah. actually, you can do that from home, can't you? Do you find that it's important to be in the office talking to people regularly so that everything just doesn't go haywire? Yeah. I work with quite a big team. I'd say a lot of them are my friends. And I enjoy the day-to-day banter. Because you can bounce ideas off if you've got an issue or, you know, you just need cheering up. There's people there. Was that the original question? It was sort of the original question, yeah. What was the original question again? I've got to put a tangent. Oh, forgive me because you're real. No, I was, I was just wondering actually because, uh, you know, you, you, work, you work from home for a bit and, you know, obviously now you're working in an office. And I was thinking, well, actually, if you wanted to cut that commute down and work away more. There is scope for me to do that. I've got a laptop, which they've very kindly given me which, you know, if I need to work from home, I can ask them, that they'll let me do it. Would you think that a co-working space would be better for you than working from home? I don't want to work from home again, if I can help it. 
because I've got Football Manager, I've got the TV, I've got my fish. I mean, I know that Ashley, for example, you know, mm. she worked at home on her own for, you know, a long, long, long time, just her and, and the, the famous dog. Yeah. And now she's gone to work in the co-working space up at Toast Caravan. Mm-hmm. And I think that our friend Cole Henley, mm. he's now getting on a lot better when he's, because he's working with people, you know, yeah, yeah. every day, rather than, you know, being on his own. Do you think that if you worked in a co-working space, you know, for example, you know, if there was a place nearby, if there was a place that we worked in and you came to work in a couple of days a week, something like yeah, that, yeah. would the agency be concerned about secrecy? Do you think? Probably, yeah. Because that's what I, I always wonder this question about. Often clients want you to sign an NDA, and obviously, you know, we, we, we keep everything private. yeah. yeah. But I wonder how, if you are working for a big company, how they would feel about you sharing an office space. don't know. Never asked. It was funny. The reason I bring this up is because, not everybody's going to know this, but you know this, Mm. we've got the chapel, which is next door to our house. Right. And (laughs) I had this crazy, crazy dream a week ago, because we would love to buy that chapel. In fact, you know, one day we will buy that chapel. Right, okay. You walk in through the chapel door and you've got the big room where the congregation go once a Sunday. Yeah. But then you've got two rooms at the back. Okay. Which are, then they're never used. I mean, this, this place sits closed mm. like seven days a week. It's used for like two hours a week. And I had this crazy dream that we would rent those back rooms and have that as the office. Okay. Which actually, do you know what? I woke up and I was thinking, that's a really good idea. You should do that. Yeah. So I'm actually going to talk to the chapel people about seeing whether or not it's a possibility that we can rent those two rooms at the back. Right. And then we'd sort of be, you know, we'd be working from home, but not working from home. You know, we can still wander over here at lunchtime and, you know, we can, it's not like we're going to some kind of horrible business park. That'd be quite nice, actually. It turned out to be one of those dreams that you think, oh, that's a great idea. It's quite a good shout, actually, to be fair. Let me do another sponsor. Go on. Second sponsor today is Perch. So, as you'll probably know, if you listen to the show a lot, Perch is a content management system that's been designed to help both design agencies and individual designers and developers deliver great sites that their clients will really love. And I know that because Stuff and Nonsense clients have told us time and time again that they really like using Perch. So, with this in mind, Perch focuses on a few key things. Now, imagine that, like us... Once you've designed a site, you don't want to spend a long time integrating a CMS into it. For example, a site that we're working on this week, we've already made HTML and CSS templates for all the pages. Now all we want to do is to simply hook up those pages with a CMS. But I'm not worried, though, because I know that it's quick and easy to get Perch up and running. You can even just make static parts of those pages editable when you want to. Now, I also know that it's really hard to charge a client for training on how they can update their site. And as well as the money, there's also the time it takes that, you know, I'd rather prefer to spend designing. So Perch is a really great editing interface that's based around pages. So what the client sees matches what's on their site. So content, it's easy to find and edit. And that means they don't need a lot of training. And it also means that they're more likely to keep their site up to date too. It's not going to get kind of old and crusty. So unlike some other CMS systems, 
especially some of those that are based on static files, Perch is designed around performance. And we all want our sites to be fast to load and able to handle peaks in traffic. So Perch is designed to be fast from the ground up to make sure your site always performs well. And that's why they say that Perch helps you make great websites faster. They're faster to build and they're faster to load. Yeah, I, I love Perch. We use it for everything where we can. And I know you're going to do too. So one of the things that I enjoy that you do is your I Ask You Answer side project, the interview site. Yes. Which you've been doing now for how long? Started it uh, last year. I gave it a second run a few months back and it's kind of stalled a bit really. I like it because it's, and it's one of the few interview sites that I actually read. I've got a big interest in, in how things, how people work and how they get around the responsive side of stuff. And it's been a real eye opener and how to people, you know, how people are, are dealing with day to day issues and stuff. I've used a fair bit of the things that people have written about and I've integrated into how I work. It's been really good that way. I like it because you talk to different people. You know, I know people often grumble about the same old faces, but you actually do talk to people that I think, who is that? What do they do? That was one of the main aims, was I was going to speak to nobody that was well-known. Or, you know, no one that was really high up in the, the food chain. <laughs> what does that mean? The usual faces or whatever. <laughs> I just wanted to sort of ask everyday people, really. I say everyday, you know what I mean. People that don't usually speak out about these things whether it would be a small agency or whether it was a one-man band or what have you. I was wanting to get a good idea from people that I didn't know either, that I'd never spoken to before, just to understand how they went about doing their, their work and the issues that they faced and how they got around things and any sort of tools they were using. And it was it was really good. Uh, the second time I started to do the, the questions and answers, I started to ask a few more well-known people because I thought it would be good to see if they were doing the same things as the lesser knowns and so far it's been quite matched everyone seems to have the same sort of issues same sort of solutions and can use the same sort of tools yeah it's cool so the, the general format is that you have a you've got a standard set of questions that you ask about yeah. a particular topic yes some of the first ones you did i think were actually about going freelance it's quite a bit of fun actually uh, but yeah mainly it was the workflow that was the one that got noticed the most because you had a job at the beginning, and mm -hmm. then you went freelance and you got replaced by a fiberglass rhino. Yes. Huh. <laughs> Can you talk about that? It's difficult. Okay, I don't want to put you on the spot. Where, where I used to work, they had all these rhinos made up and painted by various people, and they were put around the city. After the event had finished, it was, it was some sort of culture thing anyway. Once it had all ended, you've got all these rhinos that are going nowhere. And at the same time, I left where I was working. A week after, the boss of the company bought one of the rhinos and put it outside the door of the office where I used to sit in. So it was the first thing that I saw when I looked back at you know, the Twitter feed and stuff of the company. They got this bloody huge rhino outside the door, probably <laughs> using the money for my wages. <laughs> it was sat outside, so I thought that would be quite a good name for a blog title. Replaced, Replaced by, by a fiberglass rhino. Yeah, it's still there, apparently. So what did you learn from other people, then, to, about being freelance? People, they they like having the time to, you know, do their own thing and 
not being as sort of restrictive as you are in an office. The money's good, obviously, but people do stress about not getting the work in and not getting paid. It's kind of the, the same sort of answers as that I was expecting because obviously I, I went freelance and had those kind of the same things where the work was good when I had it. It was nice to get paid. It wasn't nice to not get paid. So the stress was a big part of it. Freedom was great. Loved the freedom. I went out taking photos every day. Saw my kids more. Um, saw more football. It was, you know, it was good. But the majority of people out there have the same sort of fear and stresses as, as what I had. I think that's the same with everybody, though, isn't it? Freelance is freelance, isn't it? I don't think that I'd ever want to be employed ever again, but I have enjoyed working with people more over the last, you know, year and a half. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I'd forgotten how much I, you know, I'd missed it. You know, I yeah. sort of hadn't realised how creatively lonely I was for all of those years. So I can imagine, I can imagine a lot of people feel that as well as being worried about the money. The big thing for me when I joined the agency was, was the team side of it. Because I did six months in Manchester City Centre. And going from being on my own, day to day, not speaking to anybody but Skype, to being back in the team environment, it was it was really good. The banter was really good, and you know, you, you could if you got stuck, you could ask questions, and if someone else had an issue, you could help out. And one of the big things when I joined the agency was the fact that I would be dealing with people again. And yeah. for me, that's that's the biggest thing now where I work is the fact that I've got friends there, and it's a big part for me. No, I can understand that. I I try to work with clients as much as I can. You know, I'm going down to Didcot this week. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm only going down for one day because actually it's more of a kind of a kickstart than it is, you know, actually a sort of, you know, production part of the job. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was down there for three days not mm -hmm. so long ago and I really enjoyed going down to Plymouth and working alongside that client a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose that's my thing now. You know, I'll, I'll actually go and work alongside clients as well as, you know, what we do in the office. Yeah, well, that's good though because the client gets a lot out of that too. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you know, I know it's, I know a lot of people don't like others looking over their shoulder, mm. but I actually find it really valuable. So, you know, if you work on your own, I think you've got to get out. You've got to get out some. Yeah, yeah. So your last, the last series of interviews that you did, they were all about workflow. All about workflow. And I really liked reading how people integrated responsive design into what they're doing. Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. We, we've struggled with responsive in that. It's still quite a new thing, even though it's been going for, is it four years now or something? Something like that, yeah. I mean, I can't remember exactly when ethan's article came out but yeah. it, was, I think it was 2000 and it was late 2010 something like that and i still think now we're still having issues with it i daily think it's actually a waste of time based on how i do things now i, I struggle based on what i'm trying to do with with with, with projects and stuff and I, I know it's a good thing but at the same time i wonder whether it's not the silver bullet you know it's not right for every project which bits are challenging then? Which bits do you think are a waste of time? When I say waste of time, I'm sorry, not the right phrase, but it's the fact that all the content has to be the same throughout. It's, you know, it's mobile to desktop will be the same. But it's maybe on a mobile, you'll get a different experience as you would with a desktop site. For example, I don't know, a theme park. If you're at the theme park, your mobile phone, you'll want to know where all the rides are. 
Whereas on the desktop, you probably want to know information about buying tickets, where it, where the actual park is, and a bit more sort of marketing and stuff like that. But trying to put that into a responsive site has been quite, well, would be quite tricky. That's incredibly complex because you're really making a lot of assumptions there, aren't you, about what people want to do on a small screen, aren't you? One of the projects we worked on recently, again, I can't say who, but there would be different experiences on mobile based on where they are, whether they're at home on mobile or whether they're at the place on mobile. Did you tackle that with any form of geolocation? I came in late on the project. I was basically a wireframe guy on that. But even with a laptop, you could be at the location and want a different experience if you were than at home. So I, I, I was wondering whether we needed a mobile site and a desktop site. That was, that was a big challenge for me, was trying to justify it being responsive. What about a mobile site and a responsive site that went down to mobile? I did discuss this on Twitter with a few people, and I, yeah, I'd, I'd say responsive site's fine for, for desktop, down to whatever, but maybe a mobile site for this particular product, I think, would have been, would have been easier. Or more, so that more specific beneficial. application? Yeah, more like an app, really. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Without pushing people to doing that stupid thing. I'm a, <laughs> I did this. Um, I sent this tweet out. Uh, I don't know, it, was a, it was a couple of couple of months ago. Mm. Um, I was actually at Manchester Airport, and I was I just parked my car, and I was mm. standing in the little bus shelter waiting for the the bus to take me to the airport. Mm. And uh, there's a big poster up in this bus shelter, and it says, you know, to keep up to date with all of our departures and arrivals, download the app. Um, and download the mobile app. And to download the mobile app, it said, download a QR scanner, scan this QR code that will then take you to download the app. And I'm thinking, just put it on the website, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, those, those QR codes are good. But I can definitely see a, a, a need in certain situations where you would have a desktop site that went down responsively to small screens. Yeah, yeah. And a separate and different mobile site that you give people the option of switching between. Yeah. But you haven't done that specifically. No. It is purely responsive. Interesting. Just having a look through some of these interviews. I said, you, you need to update the last question when you next do these, some, some of these things. Because the last question that you often ask people in the, uh, in the workflow interview. Is it the tool um, one? Is about tools, yeah. And you actually say here, where are we now? Is there a tool that you'd like to see built that would help change the face of web development stroke design? For example, Edge Reflow from Adobe. Yeah. Now, do you know of anybody that uses Edge Reflow? We do. Really? Yeah, it's brilliant. I was on the beta of it. My colleague uses it, and it is. It's really good. Yeah, I've not come across anybody else that's actually used it. Right. Have you tried or have you seen Macaw yet? I have seen it. I've not used it. I bought the pre-release copy because it was on at a discount. Right. And installed it. And I've used it for uh, a couple of hours. I had a play around. Mm. There's a few things that niggle me about the first version. But overall, man, what an achievement. Yeah. 
I think the fact that there are... I was listening to the interview with the guy's name, and forgive me, I forget what he was called, uh, but he was on with uh, the big web show with Jeffrey Zeldman recently. Okay. Basically, they, he built this thing more or less single-handedly at the beginning, and then I think their team grew to about four people. Right. And they've just built this amazing tool, you know, in comparison with the size and, you know, capability of Adobe. Yeah, yeah. And, and they've gone off and they've built this amazing thing. There's a few niggles with it. It does desktop-down design and code rather than mobile first. Okay. And I noticed in the f- support forums that a lot of people were saying they really want to do mobile first or small screen first. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed about it was that like a lot of these tools, and I think Reflow works in the same way, is that it's only got a an even ratio set of grids. You know, you can choose however many grid columns you want and what the what the widths and gutters are. Right. But you, you can't do anything like, for example, uh, use grids that you've made in grid sets. Oh, okay. You know, so, it's, but, so that's disappointing. But um, they, they'll get to that. I'm sure they'll get to that. I would definitely encourage you to have a look at McCaw because I think, just going back to what we were talking about earlier on in terms of prototyping, etc., mm. I think that McCaw might be a really, really useful tool for UX people to make prototypes. And not just make prototypes that then, you know, in some way that spits out scabby code. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the code that this thing spits out is actually really, really good. That's a plus point, then. It is a plus point when you want to start taking things into production. And I think, you know, in terms of that communication that we were talking about earlier on, where you can sit people around, you know, it is what you see is what you get. Yeah, yeah. But it is responsive. It could be the answer to what a lot of people have been asking for for a long time. No, starting the trial as we speak. And they're not even sponsoring the show. I should send them an email. This has been great, but we should wrap it up. So people can follow you, Dan, on Twitter. You are... Dan J. Davis. Dan J. Davis with an E. Yeah. Or you can follow me at Malarkey. To ask questions or suggest topics, you can message this show on Twitter at unfinishedbz, or you can email me, he has at unfinished.bz. Thanks to our sponsors this week, they were Hover and Perch. You can support our show by supporting them. Thanks, Dan. Our first sponsor, which I'm really very, very pleased to have this sponsor supporting the show because it's Hover. Now, I know that, I know that because, <laughs> let's start again. It's the first time I've done this read, I don't know how to do it.